The message you're about to hear has been made possible by the continued financial support of the friends and partners of Faith Hill. To find out more about how to become a partner, be sure to visit faithhill.tv. Amen. Well, why don't you lift your Bible real high and shout, this is my Bible. I believe what it says I am. I can do what it says I can do. I am a believer and not a doubter. A doer, not just a hearer. Today, I'll learn from God's Word and my life will never be the same again because faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. Amen. Happy Father's Day to all the fathers. Man, that was a powerful prayer. God loves fathers more. He made them first. (laughs) Well done, young man. I need you to pray that in the second service too so they can hear it. Amen. Well, he made us equally. Well, the better version is usually... Yeah, you guys came later. You are the better... You are the iPhone 12. We were the iPhone 5, right? (laughs) Praise God. Well, today we want to talk about our Heavenly Father, uh, who is the ultimate uh, example of how to be a father. Amen? And so I I, I want to talk about, uh, you know, uh, the title of my message, if I was to give it a title, I would call it the good, good father. You know, we sing a song about how our Heavenly Father is double good, right? Good to the power too. And then sometimes we turn around and say, well, God is the one that's uh, putting sickness on me to try and get my attention. We say God is the one that is doing all these things to try and uh, teach the world something in the same breath. And I believe that there is a misconnection, there is a misnomer there. And we're going to try and uh, uh, bring some alignment uh, today. Uh, And Grace in the Marketplace on Wednesday, this week is going to be awesome. I'm interviewing one of our partners and he's a a good friend, he's become a good friend who's an actor. He's actually led a series uh, uh, out in Hollywood, so he's called to the... Uh, mountain of arts and entertainment and so we're going to be interviewing him and talking about how to be a christian in that space so you definitely don't want to miss that one romans chapter number eight from verse 14 to 17 it says for as many as are led by the spirit of god they are the sons of god you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear but you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. Did you see that? And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ, indeed we suffer with him that we may also be glorified uh, with him. Verse 17 there talks about uh, joint heirs. It talks about you and I as being children of God. Amen? And this is a radical truth that, you know, uh, before the Apostle Paul, before Jesus brought this revelation uh, to the fold, before he began to teach that we can pray saying, Our Father, uh, the previous generations only, uh, you know, related with God 
God as some deity out there. In fact, the Old Testament name for God was Jehovah, which is more, you know, the creator of the universe. And, uh, you know, you would have all the different aspects of Jehovah in the Old Testament. Jehovah Jireh, the one who provides for us. Uh, Jehovah Shalom is our peace. Uh, Jehovah Nisi, our victorious banner, and so on and so forth. And you would see all these names spelled out in the Old Testament, but they, the revelation or the picture that the children of Israel would have every time they get a name, another name of Jehovah was of a God out there who works on their behalf, no connection really. But when Jesus came, he began to bring a revelation that brought a revolution, right? Because now he was saying, you and I can pray, uh, we can start our prayers by saying, our Father, just that alone uh, would radically uh, uh, change your world if you understood what that meant. He says, for you and I, we don't say Jehovah. That's why you don't see God called Jehovah in the New Testament. He hasn't stopped being Jehovah, but we've progressed into a deeper revelation, which connotes relationship and intimacy while we add it. Amen? For you and I, God is not just a deity out there, uh, busy with the affairs of the world, too busy to worry about you. And to care about what you are going through. For you and I, God is our heavenly father. And so scripture here says we are children of God. Amen? It says we are children of God. And if we are children, then we are heirs. What that means is there is an inheritance for us as children. Amen? I said amen. And if we are heirs of God, then we are joint heirs with Christ. Now, that, uh, don't let that phrase or that term, joint heirs, throw you off. What that simply means is that we have a, uh, the way we access this inheritance is we do it in a shared way. You know, when you use the word joint uh, heirs in dealing with a bank account, a husband and wife sometimes can have a joint account. That's joint uh, heirship. And usually when you have a joint account, uh, they require both parties to sign on the withdrawal form before you make any kind of withdrawal. And so what essentially God did for you and I in the new covenant, because of the mistake that Adam has made, Adam had uh, a sole heirship. He was the only heir, and therefore he could give up the whole thing to the devil. Now for you and I, none of us can give up our authority to the devil. We can't give it back. Because even if you put your signature on it, Jesus ain't putting no signature on that stupidity. So it's a clever way that God devised, but it's also uh, clever in the sense that when you have a joint uh, account with someone, when husband and wife marry, if one of you, when you get married, when you come into a, a covenant of marriage, till death do us, part, do us part, right? In fact, there are only two blood covenants in the earth in operation right now, marriage and your relationship with Jesus. They are the only two that say, till death do us part. They are the only two. Amen? And so there's, there are similarities on those, on those two. And with the husband and wife, if, if, if you were worth five million and you married someone who was worth uh, minus one million, when you get together and into a blood covenant, your new net worth together, joint airship, right, is now four million. Now, thank God you are not getting married to some fool. You are getting married to Jesus, who has everything, 
who says all of the things in the earth and all of the things in heaven, he has been given by our heavenly father. And because you are now in covenant with him, what's his is yours. Hallelujah. Aren't you glad that we are in a joint airship with Jesus? See, because when you came to the account and you brought your deposits, they amounted to nothing. That's why scripture says when you brought your own works, it was as dung in the eyes of the Lord. But when Jesus brought his work, God looked at it and said, paid in full, more than worthy. And when you put the two together, now you have access to what Jesus has. And Jesus took access to what you had and got rid of it. Amen? Amen. Jesus had access to your sin and he completely destroyed it. He had access to your bondage, completely destroyed it so that you could be set free. Jesus took on your poverty in that covenant relationship so that you now could walk scot-free and be wealthy. Hallelujah. It's an awesome privilege that God has given us. But if you back down to the beginning of that verse, he says, For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. For we did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear. Last week we were talking about fear, right? We did not receive the spirit of bondage to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption. See, when it comes to you uh, uh, and your relationship with God, the best way to uh, uh, you know, depict that relationship is adoption. You know, adoption is different from uh, a child of birth. Because, you know, a child of birth, sometimes you just have to work with what you get. <laughs> Some of your parents, man, they just had to work with what, <laughs> with what they got. But when it comes to adoption, you actually... You know, handpick the one that you want. You choose them. And that's what God did for you and I. He chose you. Not because he had to, but because he wanted to. Amen? Amen? And so there's a spirit of adoption that, uh, uh, and it's a spirit. You know, it, these things have to be revealed to you by the Holy Spirit. It's a spirit of adoption. And when you receive that spirit of adoption, it is only then you are able to say these words, Abba, Father. And Abba, Father is not just a term that we use. Abba, Father is a revelation of endearment. It's a revelation of intimacy. It's a revelation of uh, having that relationship, close relationship with our Heavenly Father. You know, usually when men get together, uh, and sometimes men get vulnerable too, uh, except we do it in secret, right? When we are together as men, usually sometimes uh, we, we have these conferences, men conferences, and, uh, you know, we sit around the bonfire and we start talking about father issues. And we start talking to young men who had father issues, which is everybody, you know, anybody, everybody had a father issue, you know. Your father was crazy. You say, whose father was crazy? Everybody's like, yeah, he was a crazy guy, right? So everybody had father issues, and then there's a few select who say, well, I didn't have father issues. You know, my dad was really a good dad. And then the preachers make this mistake because we do not approach this with a spirit of adoption. This truth that I'm talking about today can only be revealed to your heart by the Holy Spirit. You can't relate to it in the natural. So they usually then say, oh, those of you who had good fathers, you are going to be able to relate with our good heavenly father better because you, after all, had a good 
earthly father. Well, let me tell you, brothers and sisters, if you take your good earthly father and you stand him side to side with the good, good father, I mean, your good earthly father will amount to nothing. Amen? Amen. The revelation of the good, good father far outweighs the revelation that you can get from just trying to relate with a good guy who paid fees and brought groceries home. God is way more than that. Amen? And so when we say that word, father, you know, English word, father, right? Father, this is where we are. He is your father. Someone shout, he is my father. We sing songs about it. This in the Greek is the word pater. With a little uh, uh, apostrophe. A little something up here. And it means he's our nourisher, right? It means he's our protector. It also means he's our provider. See, so every time you say the word father, it encapsulates all of the Old Testament names of God. Amen? God is everything that the Old Testament names point to and more. He's our nourisher. He's our protector. He's our provider. Before the revelation of God being my father, I thought, I genuinely thought that God was an old man sitting in heaven somewhere in an office and he is inundated by the world issues and all of the six billion of us prayer requests. So his table must be swamped with all the needs of mankind. So who am I? To think that I should ask God to do anything for me. All of that was removed when I started to receive the revelation that he is my father. Notice I'm not saying he is our father. That would have worked too. But this revelation has to progress from our father to my father. Amen? If you're really going to function in spirituality, this has to be your foundation. If you're going to have a successful Christian walk with the Lord, this has to be your foundation. You have to know that when you got born again, you entered into a relationship with God. That moved from God just being a deity out there, swamped with all the world issues and all the prayer requests. You have to transgress. You have to be uh, 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 transferred from that into a place where you know God is my heavenly father. He's my partner. He's the one that's going to nourish me. He's going to protect me and he's going to provide for me. That, this has to be your personal revelation. Before I knew this, man, my prayers were pitiful. Because after all, he's busy. So I've got to come up with something to make myself distinct from the rest of y'all. I've got to do cartwheels in prayer. I've got to do something to make myself different from y'all. In fact, I would preach and say, man, you've got to get desperate. You've got to get desperate. If you want God to move on your behalf, you've got to get... How many of your parents would say, man, my children getting desperate for dinner would make me serve them dinner? See, I didn't have this revelation. So I would preach. you got to get desperate. Man, we'll do all kinds of things. Belly aching. Ah, ah, 
ah, you walk out with rock hard abs out of the prayer meeting. Ah, just, ah, you gotta groan, you gotta give birth. Travail, those are the words we used to use. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Travail in prayer. If you want God to move on your behalf, travail in prayer. You're not gonna see that in the new covenant. He's your father. In fact, the Bible, talking about God being your father, <laughs> it says he knows the things that you are in need of before you even know you need it. Doesn't that sound like you? Your child doesn't even know they need school fees. You already know. You already planned that they need school fees, right? And when you are saying, I've got to inform God, you're saying God is working at a less of a level in terms of being a good father than you. But God is way better than even a good, good father. In fact, the Bible says this of God, being a father, it says he knows the very number of hair on your head, which, which means he's personal with you. Amen? He knows you intimately, and God wants to be the one that nourishes, protects, and provides uh, for you. Quickly, let us go now to the book of Matthew, chapter number 23, verse 9. With this in mind... Let's go to Matthew chapter number 23, verse 9. Man, I'm telling you, we have a good, good father. Thank you, Jesus. Matthew 23, verse 9. Now, this verse has confused a lot of people, you know, especially the ones who are religious. They read this verse and they try to apply it, uh, and they always end up getting into trouble. This is what the Bible says. It says, do not call anyone on earth your Father, for one is your Father, he who is in heaven. And the word that's used in this verse is the Greek word pater. So he's not saying that after service today you should go home and announce to your dad, Dad, I read a verse today. From today onwards, I'm not going to be calling you Father. Why? Because Matthew 23 verse 9 says, I should not call anyone on the earth Father. That's not what he's talking about. He's saying, do not turn any man into being your nourisher. I don't care who they are. Don't turn any man into being your protector. They can't do it. Amen. Don't turn any man into being your provider. They can't do it. For there's only one who is in heaven who nourishes you, who protects you, and who will provide for you. Amen? Amen. Amen? And so the correct application of this verse is God is the one that's going to bring all these three. He's the one that's going to protect me. He's the one that's going to provide for me every single thing that I need. He's the one that's going to... And God is good at being father. He's not a runaway dad. He's not an absent dad. Man, God is a pre ever-present help. He will take care of you better than you will take care of yourself. Amen? And so let's go and look at his nature. Let's look at uh, what this heavenly father is like. So let's go quickly now to James chapter number 1 from verse 17. James chapter number 1 verse 17. Thank you, Jesus. James chapter number 1. Verse 17. Watch what it says. In fact, let's start from verse 16. James chapter number 1, 
we're going to read it from verse 16. Look how verse 16 starts. It says, do not be deceived, my beloved or my dear brethren. So before he tells you what he wants to tell you in verse 17, he throws a word of caution because he's getting ready to reveal to you an area of potential deception. Amen? Amen? And so the first thing he says to you is be alert. Don't be deceived when it comes to this. To, the, to what? To verse 17, every good. Someone say every good. Not some good, but every good. And every perfect gift is from above. And cometh down from the? I didn't hear that. From the who? Notice he didn't say from God, even though God is God, when he starts talking to you who are his children, he has to bring in that word Father. Every good and every perfect gift comes from above, from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. In other words, God is not schizophrenic. That's the way, only way I can put it. God does not operate from a split personality. God does not operate at the uh, mercy of uh, mood swings. God is this, every good. And every perfect gift is from above, from the Father of lights with whom there is no shadow of turning. He doesn't change his mind halfway. In the game. Amen. There's no shadow of turning. And there's no variableness. And we have a slogan that we used to uh, say growing up. And we would say God is good. And what do you say? I didn't hear that. What? All and all the time? And then we'll turn around and say, well, he's the one who killed your babies to try and get your attention. How, how is that good all the time? God is good all the time, and all the time, God is good. The only thing that proceeds out of God is goodness. God does not do evil. In fact, this is one of the ways that, you know, uh, I get to distinguish uh, whether, you know, me and somebody else uh, believe the same thing. This is, this is, this is probably the... The, the crossroads, you know, meeting someone at the airport and they profess to be a Christian. We sit down, we start having coffee. And I know this, this is one of those doctrines that will just leak out of you. You know, we're just chilling and they'll say, well, you know, the corona is just the Lord. The Lord, you know, is trying to get the world. It's the judgment. And then I'm like, man, we don't believe the same thing about my father. In fact, I went to pick up Munesu the other day. It was many years ago, uh, three years ago. Uh, I went to pick her up at the school. I don't know what had happened prior to me uh, uh, arriving to fetch her from the school. Uh, but all I remember is when I got there, she said to one of her friends, Hey, Shannon, now this is my father, not that other one you wanted to give me. <laughs> this, this one, this is my father. And when you're talking about our Heavenly Father, James chapter number 1, verse 17, now this is my Father. The one that who every good and every perfect gift comes from. So I want to submit to you, brothers and sisters, that God is not the one that is causing all the commotion in the earth to try and get our attention. God is a good, good Father. The only thing coming from God is goodness. Amen. 
Man, in fact, this is, a, this is a foundational doctrine that I believe all of us should have as a, as a starting point that God is the one that's doing good and the devil is the one that's doing bad. And sometimes, just sometimes, my own ignorance and my own stupidity is the one that's also doing bad. You know, sometimes, I, I, you know, I did it, I've been there, done that. Sometimes you make a crazy, stupid decision, ignorant decision, and then, you know, you start to see the results, and you turn around and you try and get some God sprinkle somewhere so you can just sprinkle God all over it. After all, it's the Lord. No, it wasn't the Lord. It was the sugar that you were consuming. Okay, moving right along. I was preaching in San Diego, California, and I was preaching the same message that God is good and that he's 100% good. And some lady, you know, she didn't like it. And so, in fact, she didn't like the fact that I used the word schizophrenic, didn't say any name. She said, well, you're picking on the people with me. I said, I'm not picking on anybody. I'm just using a word. It's not attached to anything or anybody. Don't be so sensitive. Sometimes Christians are just way too sensitive. And that's why we are condoning all kinds of stuff. Now they have LGBT inclusive whatever in the man if it's true grace you can come in lgbqt whatever it is but you walk out saved sanctified and filled with the holy ghost the true gospel of jesus has the power to turn and change people's lives it's not about come just the way you are yeah come the way you are but you're going to walk out different And so I was preaching there, and she said to me at the end of the service, she said, but pastor, we know that God is a sovereign. And she thought that I was going to disagree with her. And I said, yeah, he is. Except sovereign does not mean omnicontrol. God is sovereign. Sovereign means he's the boss. God is the boss. No one tells him what to do. But God, who is the boss, decided that the system was going to work this way. He was going to give to mankind uh, a free will. So that we can make choices. Whatever choice you make, the sovereign God has to allow you to live with that choice. When you walk into your closet, when you walked into your closet this morning, uh, you didn't see an angel saying to you, the sovereign God said, thou shall wear this to church. No, you didn't. That's why you walked out with, you know, that, that raggedy... <laughs> Not matching stuff, brought, brought it to church, right? That's why you could walk. If it was God, I'm telling you, I know I'm looking, I'm looking clean today, but if it was God, I'm telling you, I would have been looking way cleaner. Because God has style, I'm telling you, God has way more style than us. Hallelujah. But God allowed you to walk out. In fact, you know, I like to take the Calvinists to eat and just observe them. You know, the, the people that say, well, God is the one that's controlling everything. And I just like to observe them. You take them to Nando's. I mean, they call, you are a Calvinist. They profess to be a Calvinist. They profess to say, you know, God is the one that controls everything. He, we are just robots in this system. We don't get... And man, I just observe how they carefully put together what they want to eat. What they want to eat. I'm like, man, that wasn't God. That was you. They would stand there and say, well, I want this. I want that. And, you know, people would deliver exactly what you want to eat. And it's the same thing with life. 
When you make decisions, whatever decisions you make, God is going to allow you to have those decisions. But when you submit yourself to his word, his decisions, his ways as your heavenly father, man, God is going to bring some ridiculous nourishment. He's going to bring some protection and some provision. You won't have to worry about anything. Amen? I said amen. Amen. God is the big guy. I remember I was sharing this testimony uh, at, uh, at Life Group on Thursday. This was way back in high school, and I was tiny. I was small. You know, I probably weighed 49 kgs at the time. You know, I was form three. You believe it. You know, I was tiny. You know, I even had uh, rock hard abs, none of that extra fat. Man, I was doing well. <laughs> praise God. And then, you know, uh, 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 so there were little cliques in the school, and bullying was real, you know, you know, in our days, and there were little cliques in the school. And in my class, we had a, we had a tall, big guy. His name was the, the, our nickname was the Notorious B.I.G. That's what we called him, Biggie, B.I.G. And so Biggie would always protect us. Biggie was the man. I mean, Biggie would, you know, fight for us, and he'd tell, don't touch that one, you know. And so this one day, Biggie was nowhere to be seen. He was not in the hood. And so this big guy came and grabbed me from the back and he says, yeah, today I got you. And a miracle happened. Biggie out of nowhere. When this guy grabbed me, he grabbed me from the back. He said, man, today I got you. Man, I was shaking. I was thinking, man, what am I going to do? You know, he's this tiny little 49 kg guy and this 72 kg guy is holding me. He said, man, today I'm going to whip you. And then out of nowhere, Biggie appeared. And even my emotions changed. I looked at Biggie, man. I started smiling. I said, oh. I said, Biggie. Biggie. Come here, Biggie. And he came. I said, man, if you do anything to me, Biggie's going to beat you up. Well, I didn't use those. I used, you know, a little stronger language. <laughs> I said, I said, I said Biggie's going to beat you up, right? What happened? When Biggie showed up, it changed everything. You know why? Because I knew that I had what? Amen. Protection. It's the same thing. When this revelation hits you, and, and, and it has to be by the Holy Spirit, right? It's the spirit of adoption. He has to bring it to your heart. When this revelation all of a sudden is... Oh, man, you're not going to be afraid of anything. You're not going to be afraid of what man can do to you. You're not going to be fearful of life. You're not going to be fearful going out there and doing what God has called you to do. You know why? Because you know you have Biggie standing right next to you. And the one that we have, I'm talking about the real Biggie, right? The one that we have, he says, I'll never leave you. Now, Notorious, you disappeared for a moment and I almost got into trouble. The, the real Biggie says, I'll never leave you, no forsake you. He's always with you. Amen. Amen. That means you and I can be bold and we can be courageous. We read a scripture last, uh, last week which says we can be uh, 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 bold because God will never leave us nor forsake us. He's always with us. And therefore, we don't have to be fearful. Hallelujah. He's the real deal. He's your real father. Hallelujah. And so for those who still think God is the one, you know, responsible for all the bad things happening, you know, in life when people get involved in an accident, well, it's the Lord. No, it's not. It's just bad driving. And it might not be you. It could be somebody else. Bad driving. 
you know, bad judgment. Things happen, right? People text. These days, they text while they're driving. They do mascara. While they're driving, they eat breakfast while at it. Oh, do all three while driving to work. And then they bump someone and say, well, it's just the Lord. He was just trying to tell me. No, if the Lord wanted to sell you something, you would send the Holy Spirit. That's the Spirit on the inside of you. And he would, that's how God speaks to us. And he speaks to us through his word. He does not use terrible circumstances to try and teach you a lesson. Just like all of you here who are good fathers, you won't you know, try to get your kids to put their hand on the stove just to teach them that the stove is hot. You do it by instruction, right? But when it comes to religious things, you turn around and you say, well, God is the one that took my hand, put it on the stove so that I could learn something from it. No, he, he, he's not the one. In fact, let's go to Hebrews chapter number one from verse one to three. Let me tell you, if you're looking for a place that's going to make you strong in faith, this is the one truth that you should start off. If you move to another city, you're looking for a church, you believe in God for a church, the first thing you should check out is what do they think of God? Who is God to them? Is God a father that loves us, protects us, nourishes us, and provides for us? Or God is some deity that's, you know, controlling uh, uh, the world and throwing all kinds of circumstances for some sacred good? That's my starting point. If we don't agree on that, I'm walking out. I'm not listening to your teaching. Our God is a good, good Father. And you and I follow after the order of Jesus. Amen? That's our new lineage. Let me touch on that a little bit. If you go to, uh, uh, how much time do I have? Oh, Lord Jesus. Galatians chapter number four. Let's go to Galatians chapter number four. Where did I tell you to go? Ooh, man. Oh, my goodness. Oh, yeah. We got, we'll go back to Hebrews. Uh, we just need to read Galatians. Just the Holy Spirit dropped something in my spirit. Galatians chapter number 4 from verse 1, if that's all right. I want to show you something here. I think it's going to bless you. Galatians chapter number 4, uh, verse 1. Watch what it says. It says, now I say that, that the heir, as long as he's a child, differeth nothing from a servant. He's talking about, you know, when the heir was a child, it was a, age. He's talking about age, right? When an heir was a child, uh, he's talking about the Old Testament saints. Those were the heirs, but they were children. He says, differed nothing from a servanthood, though he, he be lord of all. But he's under tutors, the Old Testament, and governors until the time appointed of the father. Did you see that word again? Time appointed of the who? Of the Father. Even so, when we were children, we were in bondage under the elements of the world. But when the fullness of time came, was come, God sent forth his Son, made of a woman, made under the law, to redeem them that were under the law, that we might receive adoption as what? Sons. Did you see that? Now we have received adoption as sons. Now we are sons in the uh, uh, family of God. And the reason he uses the word sons is because he wants all of us to receive an inheritance. Because traditionally, during these days, only sons could receive an inheritance. It's got nothing to do with gender. It's got everything to do with the spirit of sonship. Amen? Amen? I said, amen, amen. Uh, 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 sonship, daughtership, you know, uh, it doesn't matter as long as you're in the ship. 
Hallelujah. So you are a son. So he says, now we've received the adoption uh, as sons. And he says, verse 6, and because you are sons, God has sent forth his spirit of his son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father, wherefore thou art no more than a servant. You're not a servant anymore, but a son. And if a son, then an heir of God through Christ. Then you're supposed to receive an inheritance because now you are a son in the family tree of God. What that means is, when you got born again, your family tree changed. When I got born again, I moved from just being a Butai to being a Christian Christian, and now I can receive an inheritance through Jesus the Christ. And you know, by the way, that's one of the reasons why Jesus had to die, because a covenant or a will cannot be administered until the person who's written the will has died. And so when Jesus died, the will became active. And now we can receive of the will. And so that means, that means, when you are receiving from Jesus as an inheritance, there are no generational curses for you to receive because Jesus has no generational curses to pass on. Man, before I had this revelation that now God is my father and I receive of his inheritance, I went to about 10 generational curses seminar. In fact, I thought that thing had left the earth. I thought that, that weird doctrine had left the earth. On last week, on, on Tuesday, uh, just this past week on Tuesday, we decided to uh, watch uh, Christian television because we're going to be on one of the channels, so we wanted to see what it looks like. And uh, true story. We couldn't believe our ears. We couldn't believe our eyes. The preacher got up and said, it's a big church with thousands upon thousands in our country. The preacher got up and said to people in the building, you have to go down your bloodline and investigate. I said, my bloodline is Jesus' blood. I heard it with my own ears. This is not some fabrication, something. And thank God my wife was with me, so we both heard it. And she can confirm, we both heard I said, did you hear that? She said, yeah, I heard it. I said, let's rewind. We rewound. We played again. I said, she said that. And we turned it off, of course. We you know, moved to something else, some, some, some comedy. Sometimes it's better just to watch some, some secular something. I'm telling you, sometimes it's just better just give me some, some secular something from Hollywood with its craziness because at least when I watch that, my God is already up. Now, I was in Christian territory and my God is down and they were getting ready to pour some garbage in me. Christian television. They said you need to go down and investigate your bloodline. How's that? Okay, let's say that was real. How's that even practical? How am I going to do that? How am I going to go to my parents and say, what kind of things did you do when you were 18? And my dad is going to say, young man, young man, what's wrong with you? He may pull out the rod, you know. Young man, you need, you need, you need some of this, you, you forgot. <laughs> Hebrews chapter number 1 from verse 1 to 3. Someone shout, I belong to the family of God. And I'm a child. I'm a son. Therefore, I receive of his inheritance. Hallelujah. Zero generational curses. Many generational blessings that we receive. Amen. Don't even think about it. 
If any man is in Christ, is a new creature. New creature. Old things have what? Passed away. Behold, everything has become new. I'm a new creature in Christ, and I belong to this new family. I, I'm telling you the truth. I went to several generational curses things. It was nuts. Just plain stupidity. Just, you know, chasing your tail. Just, you know, trying to chase your tail. I didn't get nothing from it. Zero. Read many books around that stuff. Didn't get nothing. Until I found out that, wait, I have a spirit of adoption and I have a father. Now I belong to a different family. My family tree is God the Father, Jesus my big brother, and I get to receive an inheritance. I'm an heir in that family. And God has no generational curses to pass on to you. Amen. Amen. Hebrews chapter number 1 from verse 1 to 3. God who at sundry times and in diverse manners spake in times past unto the fathers by the prophets as in these last days spoken unto us by his son whom he appointed heir of all things by whom also he made the worlds. Verse 3. Who being the brightness of his glory and the exact express image of his person and upholding all things by the word of his power when he had by himself purged our sins sat down at the right hand of majesty on high did you see that he's talking about jesus in verse 3 and he says who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person so jesus is the brightness of god's glory and is the express image of God's person. In other words, if God took a selfie, it would look like Jesus. If God pulled out his cell phone, took a selfie, it would look like Jesus. If you read uh, that same uh, phrase in the uh, New uh, International Version, the NIV, let's read verse 3 in the NIV if you don't mind. Uh, verse 3 in the NIV. You've got it, NIV. Watch what it says. It says, The Son, who might be the Son? Jesus, right? Anybody agree? Jesus is the Son, right? The Son is the radiance of God's glory and the what? Exact representation of His being. So if you want to see the exact representation of God, who, who, who can you look at? Jesus. If you read the same verse in the NLT, it says the sun radiates God's own glory and expresses the very character of God. So if you want to know what God is like, you can look at Jesus. And I have a question for you. If God is really like Jesus, at what point in Jesus' ministry does Jesus use sickness to try and teach someone a lesson? Leprosy. He could command the weathers and the elements, right? Lightning. He doesn't do that. In fact, he had several opportunities. The one time in John 4, he met this girl, five husbands later. She was on the sixth one. She's crazy. If there was someone to use that stuff on to try and get her attention, it was her. Let's get her something, Jesus. Let's get her something so she can wake up. Let's get her something, leprosy or something, lightning. Do something, Jesus, to try and smite her with something. So she... No, you know what he smites her with? Love, grace, and mercy. Amen. Amen. Turn the life around. And she went 
evangelized the entire city and brought all of them to Jesus. Why? Because Romans 2.4, it is the goodness of God that leads man to repentance. It is the goodness of God that leads man to repentance. You want to start seeing people get born again? In fact, man, we've heard of stories of people getting born again outside of the service. Man, I've heard of stories of, I mean, several now, of people, they're just sitting there in the, in the uh, uh, cafe and in the foyer, and they're just having coffee, and they're just talking about the goodness of God, and someone leads them to the Lord. I've heard of several stories so far. In the last two months, several people have gotten born again just hearing this good news of the goodness of God. Why? Because Romans 2, 4, it is the goodness of God that leads men to repentance. You want to start seeing neighborhoods uh, turned upside, uh, upside down or right side up? You want to see them turned right side up? Man, start telling them how good God is. Start showing them how good our Heavenly Father is. And when you do, man, it's going to be a radical transformation. Hallelujah. I said hallelujah. Stop, stop misrepresenting God. God is a good, good father. And God is good all the time and all the time. And I've got to quit because I'm out of time. We hope this message has been a blessing to you. Thank you for listening. To find out more about how you can become a partner, visit faithhill.tv today. That's